Welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter Mussett. And my name is Scott Powell. And today uh, we are so excited that you have tuned into the podcast. For those of you who like podcasts. <laughs> and for those of you who don't like podcasts, we're kind of wondering what you're doing here, but we're still excited that you've joined us. Yeah, we were listening to uh, briefly to a bit of a podcast that... I just heard, I'm like, I think I don't like podcasts. It was this witty banter between these people. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like, it probably sounds like us. It, You know, actually, I think it does. Sound and I think like it annoyed <laughs> me. <laughs> it caused me annoyance. Dude, but those, now I'm all self-conscious. And you started that really straight laced. Hello, everybody. And welcome to the podcast. Well, that's that's because I was, I was like trying to make it um, formal or something. You, I don't think... you tried to stray from what we just listened to. Yeah. You wanted to sound more professional. You know, I do want to sound professional because I want you to like this podcast. You specifically. You meaning you sitting in your in your Toyota Celica. Toyota <laughs> Celica. Jonah. Jonah goes into a whale. Oh, hold on. Yeah, that's our <laughs> first know, reading. Jonah, three, one through five, ten. Wait, Skipped oh, a little bit in the middle. Holy mackerel. Slow down. I missed all that. So Jonah, what? Chapter three. Okay. Verses one through five. Okay. Jumping to verse ten, boom, which is which I think we skipped a whole fifth of the book by skipping those. Well, it's chapters. not a, it's not a long book, so if you skip some, <laughs> you skip much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, that's a bumper sticker right there. All right, Psalm responsorial Psalm. What? Don't give me that. No, line. no, it's a great I, bumper sticker. It's a great bumper no, sticker. It's not. Basically, bumper stickers, <laughs> t-shirts. Go. Here we go. Um, but uh, and epitaphs on headstones. Tombstones? Are kind of all the same genre. It's kind of like the tombstone is your final T-shirt. Yeah, okay. If you your have, last bumper sticker, your last bumper sticker is your tombstone. So, <laughs> okay. Which which my mom is going to be? I told you I was sick. I told you I was sick. Oh, that's sad. What <laughs> would know. Jonas be? I didn't uh, want to go. <laughs> and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a third time. I still smell like whale. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's fishy. Respo oh, well played. All right. Response to Royal Psalm 25, <laughs> verses 4 through 5, 6 through 7, 8 through 9. And the response itself is from 4A. A. Um, second reading is from 1 Corinthians, mm. uh, chapter 7, mm -hmm. verses 29 to 31. Very good. I have very a, good. no idea what it's doing there. We will, we will deal with that <laughs> in good time. <laughs> Uh, our, our gospel is coming from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. The call of the disciples. The first call of the first disciples. Which we had last week. And so they're just... We're from just John's kind of, point of view. Yeah, we're just kind of like having all of these firsts at the beginning of this ordinarily, ordinary time. So the Jonah. 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 I, okay, here's the thing. I was uh, doing some studying yesterday, and I got so excited about Jonah. So I was, I, I was uh, you know, I lead a Bible study for the focus team. And I got so excited about Jonah because I, it's one of those books I actually first saw that it was Jonah. And first of all, in my, deep in my memory banks, and even reading through all these, I can't for the life of me remember another podcast we did on these readings, which I know we did it. Yeah. But looking at them now, I'm like, how on earth do we, what do we do here? How do we make sense of this? But my first thought when I saw Jonah, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be very honest with you. My first thought when I saw Jonah was, oh, Jonah. Because my, it, number one, it was a book that wasn't fresh in my mind. But number two, it's one of those books that becomes so cliche to people, right? 
because it's it's like very Veggie Tales. It's very Veggie Tales. I was talking to somebody not long ago about the Noah's Ark story, which I love the story of Noah's Ark, but it's another one of those Bible stories that was like, oh, we, we write it off because we're like, oh. We make mobiles out of it. They hang over children's beds. I was in a house recently and the, the children's bathroom had little, you know, wallpaper of Noah's Ark. And I'm like, oh my gosh. This is causing us to miss the story because it's written off as a children's cliche. Or, you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen a children's Bible that doesn't have Noah's Ark on the front with the cute giraffes and the monkeys and the you know, elephants. Like, it's great for illustrators because they're like, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, look at that. And that's the kind of, that's the same kind of idea I think of with Jonah. Like, oh, it's a whale and Jonah's swallowed by the whale and isn't it a cute story? And he goes on. And it was one of those, like, ugh. It, so I so I went back into Jonah and I spent some time I spent some real time yesterday in Jonah. Okay. And I remembered how this is an amazing book. Even on if you take the spirituality out of it, on a literary level, this is an amazingly assembled book. This is an it's an incredible book that has so much to see. So I, I scrapped the lesson I was gonna do and I led um, the focus team through Jonah. Because I'm like, this is number one, it's a good prep for everybody getting ready for next Sunday, but it's also just like this is important. And it struck a lot of chords in me that I've been dealing with my own spiritual life. Um it's it's just a great book. So uh, I thought we could go take a few minutes and and, and go check through out the Jonah. book of Bona. I mean, the book of Jonah. <laughs> the, the Jook of Bona. The Jook of Bona. Yeah, yeah. Jook of Bona. And we don't have much time. Our time is limited, so I'll, I'll, I'll cut to the chase, which everybody knows I'm gifted at cutting to the chase of things. <laughs> you're, dude, you're totally not gifted at cutting to the chase of things. Dude, you, because this is the thing, Scott. But you are gifted in subtlety. <laughs> so. Scott, so we're I, even. Um, that's, why, that's why I love doing the podcast with you is because, no, man, we, mm. we need to get into the, the, the meat of it. It's like, like, let's cut in. Cause I look at Jonah and <clears throat> here's another one. Like there's a fantastical element to Jonah getting sucked into the belly of a whale. And as soon as you're there, like I always have visions of, um, sugar plums, big visions of sugar plums. I think about, uh, what is, uh, uh, the adventures of Baron von Munchausen. <laughs> That's everyone's favorite. Everyone's everyone's favorite. I always think of of the adventures of Baron von Munchausen because what he the heck ends is up, that? he ends up in a gigantic whale. Really? Yeah. In in his adventures, and there's a bunch of dudes playing poker and like it's Jonah. Yeah, in Jonah, and like you're like, oh, there's like a kind of a Jonah reference, but it's Clearly. visually, I just think of that. And okay. for those of you who actually know that movie, then. You, you're going to enjoy what I just said. For those of you who don't, it's a very weird, surrealistic picture of kind of something that's very obscure and weird. It's so, a Terry Gilliam, so it's a Terry. It, it's for those of you who are really nerdy and played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons as kids and like so, love Terry Gilliam movies. So both of you who are still with us right and, now. Yeah, and all of those who really enjoy the movie Brazil, you'll love I, I feel I've never felt on this podcast as left out as I do right now. <laughs> I know none of these references, but none. but there's something fantastical about like I can't imagine anybody surviving in the belly of a whale for three stinking days. Yeah, and that's why some I, I don't want to get into this, but some really do question: Is this what is this book doing in Scripture? So we believe all of Scripture is true. In the sense that we, whatever the author intended to say, that's what it means. That's what the church means by inspiration, inerrancy, right? Right. So some question, you know, is this an actual historical event? Did this really happen? Is it a spiritual allegory for something? Um, you know, it, it's not a conversation I, I'm always interested in diving too deeply into. I, I see nothing a priori in the text that suggests it's not real. 
that it didn't actually happen. Right. You know, a lot of scholars and even good faithful Catholic scholars will say, well, no, this probably didn't. It's not an actual historical event. It's an allegorical to something else. I lean the other way. And, and I say, well, why not? You know, we believe in a God who rose from the dead after three days. So what makes this any different? And I see nothing really that suggests this is a made-up story. Does that make sense? So that's right. a bit of a precursor. But there is a big debate on that. And there are faithful people who think this is allegorical to something. Right. Which is which is different than saying this is like a made-up Bible story. You know what I mean? Because the Bible do- has different genres and it does different things. But I think this happened. Um, but the way it's told is, is absolutely brilliant. So Jonah is unique uh, in a couple of ways. Jonah, it's, it's technically a prophetic book. It's a book of prophecy. And one of the common themes of all of the prophets is that prophets tend to be people who have a message to deliver from God. Prophets, you know, we make the mistake of thinking it's all about future telling. That's really not what prophets are are sent to do. They're sent to tell people what God is doing in the world. So there are modern day prophets. I think John Paul II, I think, was a prophet because he, he revealed to us what God is up to in the world, right? There's lots of uses of prophecy. And so what makes Jonah unique, though, is that he's the only one of the prophets that's called to go to a pagan people, to a non-Israelite people. Everybody else goes to the Israelites, either the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. But he's unique in this, right? And even the way the book begins, it's, it's, you know, this was written primarily for a people who most of whom didn't know how to read. And so it's written in a way to be exclaimed and to be read aloud. And if you do it that way, it actually, it's powerful. So it begins by saying the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of uh, Amati, Amatai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. There's three really powerful verbs in that first two verses that define the entire book. Did you catch them? Arise, go, and cry. Mm. Arise, go to Nineveh, and cry out against it because their wickedness has come before me. Okay. Arise, go, and cry. And do you remember what the first thing Jonah does is? He, uh, he, he arises. He arises. And he goes away from away, Nineveh. Away, the other direction. Yeah, he, he does not want to do it. Yeah, he, and he doesn't want to cry. He's actually silent for much of the book. And he doesn't actually, karar is the, the very visceral Hebrew word for cry. Mm. He arises and he goes and what it says, he fled to a place called Tarshish. <laughs> Tarshish. We were, nobody could keep a straight face in the Bible study yesterday as we kept reading Tarshish. Because the word Tarshish <laughs> keeps showing up. <laughs> showing up. <laughs> Four Tarshish. times, I think, in the first chapter. Tarshish, Tarshish. So he fled from tar- to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to a place called Joppa. And he found a ship there and he paid the fare. Um, it, it's also, by the way, a side note, the book of Jonah is a giant chiasm. Um, which I, I wish we had time to kind of unpack it because it's beautiful. What's the center but, of the chiasm? What's the center of the chiasm? Well... The center of the chiasm is actually going to be Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving when he's saved from the whale, which is sort of the one moment he kind of actually does turn to God. Oh. So remember, if you remember the narrative, he God tells him to go to Nineveh and, and cry against their wickedness and, and try to skips, call them back. skips out, goes on the boat, the boat the capsizes, and they, well, the boat's starting to capsize and they start to throw the luggage off of it. And then they, and then he says, well, I'm the one who did this. And then they were like, yeah, let's, yes, you're, you, everything you said there is true, but I just, I just want to take a minute just to. <laughs> No, no, because it's so beautiful, because everything you're saying is true, um, but in a, and you're not doing this. But in a certain sense, it's to, it's to miss a lot of what's going on. So first of all, the first thing it says is he goes to Tarshish, and then he goes down to Joppa, and then he finds a boat to get on going the other direction, right? Yep. So one of the things you see, one of the themes that I think is so important in this book is when we turn from God's will in our lives, we always make a descent. 
So what's Jonah doing? He goes down to Tarshish. Then he finds a boat. And remember, he goes down into the bowels of the boat. Mm. And in the climax of his rejection of God's will, he actually goes into the belly of a whale, which goes descends into the depths of the sea. Mm. So the movement of the whole book as Jonah is running away from the presence of God, or what he thinks is running away from the presence of God, fleeing God's will, he keeps going down and down and down, which is what we do when we flee God's will in our lives. Wow. We descend, which wow. is, it, it's, it's very powerful the way that it's said. That's actually really, way, <clears throat> way, I mean, it, it, it's taking seriously the literary structure of what the author's doing rather than, exactly right. rather than taking a plot driven right. idea. I mean, the, the plot, I mean, it is plot driven yeah, and absolutely. that's actually precisely the meaningfulness is coming from the verbiage and the plot. Yes, absolutely. And right. so, so the the so really the chiastic center when he's going down, 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 down. He and then he's saved. Yeah. Then that moment, it's it, it's all about that turn because that's actually what's meant to take place in Nineveh. Is, yeah. Okay. Yes. No, you're to, absolutely right. But this is where me. the author throws us for a for a loop because you're right and you're, you're you're your logic is correct and that's what you'd expect to happen. Right, so, but that's not what happens exactly. Right. So, so he goes down. There's this descent. There's this great moment where he's. So the storm comes up. There's this huge tempest. Um, everybody's freaking out. They're like, "Oh, what do we do?" And they're all praying to their various gods because these are pagan people on the ship. And it says Jonah is, is down at the bottom of the ship. It says he's in a deep sleep. And I I don't know quite what to do with this, but I found in my word study the only other place where the term that's used for his deep sleep is used is when Adam is put into this deep sleep when Eve is created. Whoa. Which is interesting. Like he, it's, it's almost like he's, he's so much rejected God's presence and God's will. It's like he's put himself in kind of a coma. He's comatose to even the storm that's going on. And it's like he's, he's dying a little in a certain sense because that's what happens when we turn away from the center of life. So eventually the ship captain finds him in this deep sleep, wakes him up. He's like, what's wrong with you? You're asleep. What's going on? He's like, well, who are you? We're all praying to our gods. Who's your God? Where do you come? You know, remember, this is a polytheistic society. Where do you come from? What, 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 are you, what kind of a person are you? And he gives this answer that I am a Hebrew and I believe in, I, it actually says I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord of heaven. I fear Yahweh. The irony, of course, is that he's not fearing Yahweh. He's running away from you. the fear in the holy sense, like the fear of the Lord. Right. He's not demonstrating that. But the other pagans on the boat are saying, well, pray to your God. Right. Like start praying. They have a fear of the Lord that Jonah the prophet doesn't actually have. Yeah, they're, they're all, they actually have a nobility in their exactly religious right. belief. They're way more believing than he is. They are. And even with him, they're like, well, maybe your God is the, maybe there's truth here. Maybe you should do something. And so, you know, they cast lots to try to figure out, okay, whose fault is this? Which is this ancient practice. And it falls to Jonah, unlucky Jonah. And he's like, you know what? It's my fault. I'm running away from God. I'm, I'm supposed to do this thing. Kill me now. And he, he's so he's so much in rejection of what God wants in his life because it's distasteful. It's unpleasant for him. And we'll get to that why in a second. Wow, that's But he's big. like, I so hate God's will in my life. I want you to kill me. I Throw would, me overboard. I would rather die than do God's will. I would rather will. die than do God's will, which is another theme throughout the book. And their initial response is, no, we don't want your blood on our hands. So again, they're, the pagans on the ship are more faithful than Jonah. 
which is sort of the undercurrent of the whole book because he's <laughs> supposed to go and preach to the pagans who will hear his message. But th this theme starts way before that. So eventually they do, and they're like, oh, we don't know what else to do. So they throw him into the sea. And he's like, finally I'll die. A whale swallows him up. He goes and he descends. He's like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, he, he actually does this whole prayer in chapter two, which is actually, if you read it, it's a very, uh, it's a beautiful sounding kind of psalm-like prayer that if you read very closely, it's filled with lies. Because he says things like, the Lord threw me into the sea. The Lord has cast me off. The Lord has abandoned me and left me from his presence. And if you read it, you're like, it's worded in this beautiful sounding way. Yeah. You're like, that's kind of an, it's almost an anti-prayer. Because everything you're saying is wrong. The Lord didn't cast you off. You begged to be cast off. The Lord didn't leave his presence. You ran from his presence. Right. And so it's this kind of, it seems beautiful, but it's like, no, you, you're not understanding God. And eventually the whale vomits him out. Back on, back on the thing. He's back well, on track. Well, Ebosea, the uh, Greek word for I cried out in mm. distress. He didn't cry out yet. Karar is the word that he's supposed to do. Oh. That's the, that's, no, you're right though. He's saying, I, what's the word again? Um, ebosea. Which is a different meaning than cry, than karar. Eboessa. Eboessa. So he's, he, it's almost like uh, Peter, you know, do you, do you philos me? No, I, or do you agape me? No, I philos, philos you. you. Yeah, it's right. It's sort of that kind of a thing. Like, uh, it's subtle though, isn't it's it? It's subtle, yeah. Like, do you love me? I like you. Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. Like, so he's back on track. He goes to Nineveh. And, and by this point, you know, he, he's terrified of Nineveh. Nineveh, by the way. Oh, there's so much we could say on this. Nineveh was a horrifying place. Just to, just, you know, it's easy to read this and be like, what a bonehead. He's not following God's will. He must hate everybody. Nineveh was the capital of the nation of Assyria. It was horrifying. We have archaeological records. There was a king in Assyria, in Nineveh, who actually was famous for having, <laughs> he built a palace out of the bones and the flesh of the people that he had conquered. Yeesh. Just to point out that Jonah's not totally off track in his terror and distaste for doing this bones and flesh of the people yeah that's what they that's, that's what, what his palace was built out of like furs from humans yeah dude my afro would take like <laughs> dude it would be very it'd make a great carpet <laughs> Into the throw, carpet yeah be a throw rug in your <laughs> bathroom dude but god is like go to them and he's like are you kidding me? But now, if you think about it, so he goes, but why does he go? Well, all of a sudden, he's not afraid of death now. Now he just wants to die. Not in a healthy way. He's like, fine, just kill me. I don't care. So, and this is where our reading shows up. He marches through the city. It says it takes him days to walk through it. I don't know if that's allegorical or not. But he marches through, and he's like, you guys need to repent. Well, it's, you're going to kill me at any second, I'm sure he's thinking. Just in case you're wondering, um, uh, the number of people that were supposed to be in Nineveh, mm were a, a, is about the same uh, population as Boulder. So oh. so if you could imagine walking through Boulder, crying out through all the neighborhoods. That would take a while. I think that, that actually might take four days. Ah, uh, if you go through all the neighborhoods. Ah, see, thank you. That's actually very helpful. So, so I don't think it's allegorical. I, think I was that, debating like, with somebody about that, and I couldn't think of a good... 120,000 people in this town. I mean, like up in North Boulder, I mean, that'd take you, it'd take you a day. I mean, yeah, I think right. you could do it in a day. I mean, you'd be right. tired at the end of it. All right. Okay. So this is what he's doing. Right. But again, I don't get the sense that, well, so he does it. Surprise to everybody. They listen. They're like, oh my gosh, we didn't. We well, he does half a day. He does one. <laughs> right. He does but like it works. That's all it took. of what he's supposed to do. But that's all it took. Right. And then they send the message to the king. And they're like, hey, this guy is saying we need to repent. And he's like, crap, we do need to repent. And there's this change of heart. And they have sackcloth and ashes and they fast. And they say, we were wrong. They, they recognize the most you know, hedonistic, sinful, violent city on earth says, oh, 
we see the evil of our ways and we turn back to God. Right. To which Jonah's response is, well, too little, too late, guys. Right. Mm. So he goes out and he's like, well, that's great. You repented, but too little, too late. I know what you guys have done. And so he sits and he waits for God to wipe them out. Because again, his prayer has demonstrated he still doesn't get this. Right. Right. So he goes up, he finds a cliff, and he he watches, and he's like, he's waiting for it to get destroyed. He gets hot, and he gets tired. God sends a uh, palm tree to grow up and give him some shade, and he goes to sleep, and he wakes up the next morning, and the palm tree is dead. And he gets he's mad like, at everything God. Everything stinks. Yep. And he gets mad at God, and God's like, "Don't you realize how much I love them?" And he's like, "Everything stinks. My tree is dead. The end. The book mm-hmm. ends. Period. That's the end of the book." Which is what I was referring to earlier. You expect it to go in a certain way. Right. You expect Jonah, because this is a Bible story, right? Be faithful. He, everyone turns back. Everybody wins. There's much rejoicing. But that's not how the story goes. Jonah ends this story. And I, who knows what, what Jonah's ultimate fate was? Who knows if at some point in his life he realizes the ways of God? But the book ends with him saying, God stinks. The Ninevites I hate. I want to die. Rather than offer them God's mercy, I would rather die than see mm-hmm. those people get God's mercy. This pagan, non, well, they are God-fearing more than he is, actually. And so the more I've been thinking about the book of Noah, or Jonah in the last couple of days, in the last day and a half, the more I've realized, I think Jonah, and, and this is why I start to think, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, it's in the Bible. I think Jonah is the anti-gospel. What? I think Jonah is the anti-gospel. I, I mean, I heard you. I'm just oh. I'm like... <laughs> I'm, I'm, the anti-gospel. <laughs> okay, thanks. Grandpa. For... <laughs> no. <laughs> what, is, what is the gospel in a nutshell? It, it is the proclamation that the kingdom of God has come and it is now offered to all the nations of the earth. Right. And through his faithfulness to that mission, Jesus dies and goes down into the earth for three days and rises again. The narrative of Jonah is that God's mercy is meant to be offered and extended to the nations of the earth. Through his unfaithfulness, he goes down to the belly of the whale for three days, rises back up, and proceeds to not proclaim. Well, he proclaims, in a certain sense, the message of repentance, but he doesn't despite himself, right? Right. So if you, I'm still working this out, exactly what this looks like. But if you think about it thematically, it's the opposite of the gospel. A person unfaithful, going down to the depths for three days, not wanting to extend the kingdom of God. And the, the I mean, what, how does the gospel of Matthew end? The Great Commission, go out to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Teaching them all that I've commanded you. Right. Jonah does it, but he sort of does the opposite of that. And he goes down through his unfaithfulness, Jesus through his faithfulness. I don't know. I'm still working this out, but there's so many themes that are... Which makes me wonder, is this sort of by the grace of the Holy Spirit, why this book is in the God? You know, the Bible, this is one of the things about the Bible. You read the Bible and you're like, well, it's in the Bible. It must be good and it must be true. There's a lot of things in the, that are in the Bible to instruct us on what not to do. And I think the book of Jonah is in the Bible as a way of instructing us what not to do. Here's how you don't spread the gospel. <laughs> well, <clears throat> well, this is the thing, though, is this is what's so confusing is is that Jesus quotes as you have something greater than Jonah here, mm-hmm. that there's some sort of level of attribution within the culture that proclaims Jonah as great. Yes, because he does it, right? He does proclaim the message uh, of repentance, But see, here's the thing, the message of repentance, and and you see this in the gospel because this is how the gospel begins. Jesus proclaims the gospel of God. What is the gospel of God? Repent and believe in the gospel. Jonah only says repent. 
He says, you guys stink. Right. There's no call to discipleship. Mm. So he's missing the second half of the gospel message. The first half is repent. The second half is believe and come and follow. It's like you said, quoting John from last week, come and see, come and you will see. Right. Jonah says, repent, you guys stink, but there's no coming and seeing for you. There's no coming, there's no discipleship for you. You stink, you should say you're sorry, but you're done. Yeah, and and where is and and the result so was the, the result was non-obliteration. So basically, yeah. on, on the they were on the edge of total obliteration because God yes. was like, you presumably, know, we, we, like because w- what happens is it says the Lord repented of the evil that He was going to do of yeah. them. So He was like, okay, which what happens is that why did the Canaanite nations get mowed down? Yeah. Is because they had the fullness of expression, so that they they had no opportunity for repentance, right? And so, in, mm-hmm. in a, like, like their repentance was, they just, the, they came to the fullness of the heartness of yeah. heart. Yeah. And they we're, we're not coming back from that. Yeah. Right. And whereas, right. whereas, like, so it's, it's hard because I look at Jonah and he is an anti hero. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to do it. But then, even out of his spite, he does it a little bit. And, and so it's maybe instead profoundly of, effective. So maybe instead of saying it's the anti gospel, it's the half gospel. It's the half gospel that that it's it's half hearted, yeah. Like it's and uh, I mean I I've known people, fa- you know, who are in this zone yeah. to where they, they like they know the Lord, and the Lord is asking hard things of them that they themselves don't want to do, and yeah. the more that they resist, the worse everything gets for them. Yeah. And it's not a question of of do I believe? It's am I willing to be faithful and to follow God into what He's really asking me to do? Right. And they have a sense, and they reject what the Lord is asking them to do. And I've I've met a lot of people. I've actually gotten into this zone myself, yeah. where I can see the Lord saying to me, "Hey, I really need you to do this for me." And I'm like, "It's so distasteful to me." Yeah. And because I know that this is going to make my life really complicated, mm-hmm. and I and I don't want to have a complicated life. I just want to, I just want to have some peace, and and like <laughs> yeah. and so, Lord, why don't you just give me some peace? But the but yeah. like what the thing that I've been coming to recently is that I can actually seek the peace of the Lord before I do anything. It's not about whether or not I'm I do or don't do. It's whether or not I'm willing to be with the Lord. Yes, and like, and and that's where I see the 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 escape of of Jonah yeah. is that he doesn't want to be with the Lord because he doesn't want to do what the Lord is asking, right. and so he's living out of this place of trying to escape from God. Yeah. Whereas I actually like, I can try to find my peace in woodworking. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, I can go and um and try to make something, and as long as I'm trying to find my peace in the thing that I'm trying to make, I'm not going to find peace. Oh, I see. Whereas if I try to yeah. find the peace in the Lord himself, yeah. I actually have the opportunity to to be. I can be mm. with the Lord immediately. And I yeah. think that that's like why we pray in the mornings, why we actually take time first thing, because mm. otherwise I'm going to try to find the from the things that I do, the peace that I seek with the Lord. And that's where mm. like I see Jonah. It's like, like you see the moment he finds peace for a second. 
He's like, hey, I, I, I half, yeah. I half preached, and he wa- goes up to the hill, and he, and the Lord gives him a little <sighs> bit of shade, yeah. but then he pulls the shade because he's like, no, I need you to do more. Yeah. I need you to be with me more, and like, and and and, and be with them, and be with them, because that's and, the natural expression of being with God. Mm. With James, right? How can you say you love your neighbor? You love the God who you have not seen if you don't love your neighbor who you have seen. Mm. This is the other thing I'm seeing here. This is this is precisely why I hate internet debates, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was having a conversation with someone with a family member recently who I was there was some personality that's on the internet and and um I was saying how why I didn't like this particular person even though I agreed with almost everything he said yeah because I always got the impression like he goes in these debates and he does these things he puts up these videos because he thrives on proving people are wrong and mm. dumb and their logic is stupid but there's no other half. It's not because I want you to come alongside and know the truth. I just want you to know that you're wrong. Right. And that's why I see in Jonah, right? I want you guys to know that you stink, but I don't want you to know really what the truth is. And that's which, problematic. Yeah. So which is our society. So that's I, As long as I can shut you up, I win. Right? So Jonah is the first internet troll. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> which it is. I think it really is a good segue into Psalm, right? Teach me your ways, O Lord. Teach Jonah, me your paths. Teach me your paths. He Make knows tone, yeah. part of it. Well, he he knows it, but he needs to be taught. He's not willing to be taught. He's not willing to be led. He's mm. not willing to be shown. Your ways, O Lord, make known to me. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. Jonah wants to go his own path. He wants mm. to find his own route. He does not want to be guided, and he does not really want to know God's truth. All he wants to know is uh, it's even a concession. Okay, fine. I'll tell them that they stink, but that's it. Which is like he's been listening to Fleetwood Mac, dude. <laughs> you can go your own way. He does. And his own way is down. Right. Down, 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 down. Because the ways of God are richness. Ooh. The ways of God are up. The ways of God are the upward spiral. Right. But when we rely on ourselves, it's the downward spiral of sin. So the psalm really is the response to say, like, I don't want to do, like, like it, it's almost like being Nineveh. Like, I see, like, like you can be an anti-witness. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. L- l- that's kind of, no, and, and Jonah, as you're looking at him and you're like, you're a witness and I don't want to be you. Right. So right. I'm. So I'm gonna do. I might do what you say, but I'm not gonna be who you are. I'm gonna. Yes. I, yeah. 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 So, that's 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 the right. And so so the psalm is kind of our our is responding of, to that. It's responding to that. It's like saying, "Oh, teach me your ways." It's like almost like I'm ignorant of of your path, but I hear the Lord calling me as the nations, right. and I want to do right before the Lord, even right. if the messenger is kind of. Absolutely right. Uh, like lost. But that's the thing. God, this story shows beautifully, even God can use a lost messenger. Mm. Right? He right. still uses the lost boneheaded messenger because that's how God works. Right. And that is teaching his ways. My ways are even writing straight with crooked lines. Right. Is that the saying? That one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, Which he, t- healing with broken pots or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, God carries his water in broken vessels. Ah, uh, yes. That's 2 Corinthians, right? Yeah. Jars of clay. Second uh, or 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Oh, my. Okay. Okay, so so th- I tell you, brothers, the time is running out. From now on, let those who ha- having wives act as not having them. Those weeping is not weeping. Those rejoicing is not rejoicing. Those buying is not owning. And those using the world is not fully use- using it. For the world in its present form is passing away. Okay, here's what I have to say about this. Okay. Um. 
there is, I think, an immediate context to this passage, which is about, and, and we're not sure, he's speaking to the Corinthians and scholars debate, there is either a massive persecution or famine or something happening to the Christians in Corinth where they're being asked to change their way of life in the immediate term because there's something happening. There is a persecution, so life can't look the same. Mm. But I was thinking about that, and I'm like, well, okay, that, that's fine and good. And we don't have time to go into that. There's this very detailed exegesis that we could do on 1 Corinthians 7. But what does that have to do with us? Because we're not dealing with those same things. And so what is the perennial message of Scripture? Because that's how Scripture works. There's an immediate context. Right. But knowing that immediate context can also help us uh, move it to our context of our lives. And right. I'm thinking about this in terms of Isaiah. I'm sorry, in, in Jonah. Time is running out. Let those who have wives act as not having them. Weeping is not weeping. Rejoicing is not rejoicing. First of all, this isn't necessarily advice for ordinary time. <laughs> There's circumstances that are asking, that are making Paul ask this of them. Right. But the other thing about it, and the thing that I think is perennial, he says the world in its present form is passing away, or some translations say the present form of the world is passing away. In other words, things are not what they seem. Right. You cannot because the time of the Lord is actually growing short. He is going to come back some someday. It could be 10,000 years or it could be tomorrow. Right. Or it could be in, a, in five minutes. You need to live in preparation for that, which means that you can't look in the at the world in ordinary terms. Don't act like you don't have a wife if you have a wife, but don't look at the world as though this is all there is. Because what Jonah is doing is looking at the Ninevites in a socio-political sort of thinking, not realizing that God is the king of all. Right. And if I'm just thinking of it in my everyday life and the things that affect me and the, re- the ways in which the Assyria are a lousy government that are overtaxing people and, you know, blah, 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 then I'm going to see it in very concrete, political, whatever, my life terms. Right. And what Paul is saying, no, because you're a Christian, because you've actually been called into discipleship, you followed him, you have gone to see where he dwells, come and see we have to look at everything in our lives differently. Mm. If you are in Christ, as Paul says, everything in your life has to look differently than before you were in Christ. Because nothing is the same, and there is a veil over reality. Mm -hmm. We don't see the world for what it is. But if we lift the veil ever so slightly, then it might be the case that the last people in your lives that you would ever want to extend a hand of mercy to actually might be precisely the people that will change the world. Mm. And maybe those idiot pagan ship captains that you're on, maybe they actually are more valuable in the eyes of God than you thought they were. Mm. And maybe the way that you approach to the world and maybe the, the way that you approach your coworkers and that you approach your marriage or you approach your, your children or you approach the traffic that you have to deal with every morning, maybe there's more than meets the eye. Because in Christ, there's a deeper reality. Yes. Um, not to make this way too abstract, but I think at, at the heart of it, that's what he's saying. Don't ignore your wife if you're married. Please don't. Please don't do that. Don't weep if don't not weep if you're sad. That, that's not the deal. Look at the world differently, and that's what Jonah can't do. He can't think outside of his life to see something different than the right. Ninevites. Uh, amen. <clears throat> well, and that's where that's that's exactly why we have to be very attentive to try to make first things first. Exactly. And but sometimes we don't know what first things are supposed to be. And I think that's the other thing Paul is getting at. Mm. What you think are the first things might not be the first things, mm. which is the call of Jonah. What Jonah thought were the first things, no, we are the people of Israel. We are the royal priesthood. We are the people, the chosen ones of God. Well, yeah, that's true. But maybe he chose you for the sake of those people. 
mm-hmm. what you thought was first, because he seems to be of this thinking that if mercy extends to the Ninevites, then what does that say about Israel? Does that mean we're number two? Does that mean we're not as special as we thought we were? What does that do to my whole worldview? Maybe the things that I thought were first things are not the first things. Maybe God's calling me to something else. Mm. Right? Yeah. and Which is the gospel. Which is the gospel and which is actually really... Um, I, th- I look at this reading and I think of it in the terms of attachment. Okay. It's like, how do I live as not, how do I buy as not owning? Mm. Like, you know what? It's, it's saying that in a certain sense, it's like, I'm a steward. Like, like I have the gift of those things that are around me at this moment in time, but that yeah. it's, it's not, it's a heart that is dispossessed of those things. Yes. It's not, yes. Uh, it's, it's not, uh, um, gripping or trying to exploit those things for things that it's, it's, it's like that flip it's being versus doing. Yes. It's like, um, it's like if, if I look and I say, gosh, I have Scott and I have this podcast right now and this is wonderful. It's not going to last forever. Right. You know, uh, you're fired. Um, so seriously, I'm just kidding. So, so we have to <laughs> podcast as if not podcasting. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. So it's, it's saying that the Lord, the Lord is Lord of all, and He's going to be the one who's in charge. Yes. And so if and and He He's going to have a mission for us. He actually has intentions for us. And if 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 I'm trying to find my peace and my being primarily in those things, in being husband, in being owner, is in rejoicing, as in weeping. If I'm trying to find my life within those passions and in that stuff, then yeah. I'm going to miss the fact that the Lord is calling me to something specific, which I think is exactly a way to lead us into the gospel. Absolutely. You know, it's it's funny just thinking about this. This is the call of the first. This is Mark's version of the call of the disciples who will be the ones who are closest to Jesus. Right. His ministry. And, you know, you... I've always sort of thought of this. I had a, one insight. I've always thought of this as these, they don't seem to be very good fishermen, right? And, and you know, because remember when they leave, when Jesus is killed and they think he's gone and they go back to fishing and they can't catch anything. And it, there's a couple times where they don't appear to catch anything. So it's, it's one of those things where they're like, okay, they're kind of a lousy fishermen. So some guy comes along and offers them something that they think will be better. They follow after him. But that's not, there, there's just something so small. But uh, James, the son of Zebedee, um, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and his brother, John, James and John it says they were in a boat mending their nets. He called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat along with the hired men that, that served them or, and followed him. Mm. The fact that they have hired people on their boat means that they're actually probably pretty successful. Right. So sometimes we think of the apostles, this ragtag bunch of nobodies. These are apparently people of some standing. They have some amount of wealth. They're bosses. They're businessmen. They have employees. And they're probably having some success. And they say, immediately, they hear the call of Jesus. They don't go the opposite direction. They don't go down into the boat. They don't close their ears. They jump. I always think of that scene in Forrest Gump. Remember where Lieutenant Dan, where Forrest Gump sees Lieutenant yeah. Dan, jumps off the boat? That's always what I see here. But it's not them leaving this kind of life of woe and life of boringness to go on an exciting adventure. It's leaving our comfortable, successful lives to follow to a place that we don't know where this is going to end, yes. but he is calling us. Mm. It's that line from the Chronicles of Narnia. Remember when uh, Mr. Beaver is talking to the kids about Aslan? The Chronicles of what? Narnia. The Chronicles of what? The Chronic what? Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, there we go. Sorry. But there's that line where he's talking about the lion who represents God. And he's like, wait, it's, it's a lion. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? No, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Right. They hear the voice of this Jesus. I don't know where he's going to lead, but I have to follow. 
Right. It's not going to be safe. It's not going to be comfortable, but it's going to be good. Mm. And there's this sense. They are, again, sort of anti-Jonas. Jonah hears the voice and runs the other way. Right. James, John, Peter, Simon, uh, Andrew, they hear the voice and they run toward yeah, they the abandon their nets, which I think it's yes. really kind of funny that the, that there's there's the contrast of Jonah who mm. got hooked by the whale and oh. them who are hooking the whale. You know, Ooh, you know what I'm well saying? played. So so like he's the one who go down. He he goes down to sleep with the fishes, whereas they're pulling <laughs> the fishes to sleep with them. Yeah, Muggsy. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's just like an absurd. It's a it's a, it's a beautiful inversion. And then and yeah, then I never saw that. That's and so cool. so so they're walking away. It's it's almost like that that what is the center point of of um is the prayer after the release from the whale? Yeah. Isn't this funny? This is the center point which <laughs> they're released from the fish. Oh, so now, that's good. So now they're they're experiencing. The, the, now they're following the path of Jonah, and they're faithful in it. Well played. Ooh, I got goosebumps from that. Well played, Father Peter. Because because what are they going to do? It's, it's three. It's going to take four mm. days to go through the city. It's going to take them three years to go through the whole countryside. Boom. And then then it's going to take their whole lives. And now it, it's oh. like it's it's them being. It's like the contrast of the infidelity to the fidelity. It's them mm. who are have wives who are not living as though they have wives, which is kind of intense, by the way, ladies. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, but but those but they're on mission with him, and yeah. like they're like there's this sense of they found the Messiah, they've and they're being faithful, and they're not trying to find their rest. Foxes have dens, but I have nowhere to lay my head. Whereas Jonah's trying to find a place to lay his head. That's all yeah. he's seeking for. Ooh, and this so, is good. So now all of a sudden, mm. like Jesus, who's physically manifesting and calling them, and they respond and 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 what are they going to go through and and it's just faithfulness after faithfulness after faithfulness they say repent everybody does and they're healed repent and be healed and they like go and they're like we don't even have anything to offer you but what we do have we give to you i mean it's like this is the beginning it's almost like we see the two the two inspirations at the beginning of life here's hmm. jonah and he's called and he and he just rejects it so we we stand in that crux are we gonna try to live our lives in such a way that we are trying to juice them for all they have for our own sake like that like which is what jonah's trying to do yeah. he's like man i'm passed out in the bottom of the boat i'm just trying to find rest just give me some peace for it for this for the love of god yeah. And and everybody else is like, no, we're in chaos. It's right. the the boat is capsizing. We need something. Mm. All of Israel is capsizing. They're occupied. We mm. need something. And it's like, are you going to respond? We're in the same situation. The world around us doesn't even know that they are in need. Like, but yeah. they have these felt needs, and they're trying to meet them. Are yeah. we going to actually be people who respond to the call? Are we going to be resentful of the fact that God is calling us every day, and we're going and and that He says, take up your cross every day and follow after Me. I mean, and that's like the, that's the call of Jonah. Jonah had to take up his, I mean, he, he had to suffer for this. And, he did. and same with the apostles. They had to suffer for this. They had Absolutely. to leave great paying jobs. They had to leave all of their employees. They had to leave the leadership that they mm. supposedly had. They had to actually go camping for a long time. Some people hate camping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the irony, not to put too fine a point on it. When Is Jonah, there a bee in your bonnet? Ah. Huh. Make a little birdhouse in your soul. Yeah. When Jonah runs from the call of God, he goes down to that sleep that's like death. It's like a coma. Mm. When Peter, James, Simon, and Andrew respond to the call, it brings them back to life. Mm. Even though they'll all be martyred for it. We had been fishing all night and did not catch a thing. 
So? Dude, th- this is actually way cooler than I was even seeing in all of this study. Thanks for go- digging in on this. I just had some Jonah. That's all. Man, <clears throat> no, that I, was important. We do have to give a shout out, um, a yes. double-sided shout out. Number one to all of the folks who are, are going to the March for Life in Washington, D.C. this weekend, um, especially to Ellie Bixenman and the crew from Mullen. Whoop, whoop. We're coming from Colorado, so please represent Mullen. Um, so thank you guys for uh, for standing up for life and being a being a sign, being an icon in a dark world of what it means to follow the call of Jesus Christ. Absolutely, like that's the best. And uh, I am. Uh, it's I think it's going to be cold out there. But if, if they're driving buses, then of course they're going to listen to the lanky guys because they need to <laughs> pass some time. So oh, hopefully, as, uh, yeah, as you're listening, hopefully we're a good pastime for you. Just put it on repeat. Put it on repeat just a couple times. Listen to some past episodes. Listen to the one from three years ago. See if we actually have better insight now that's scary yeah that's scary and um i have a i have a shout out of my to-dos that i found the other day for christina from csu Mm. yeah what up christina at csu i don't even know who you are and i don't know who asked me to do it but i tell you what you are so cool she is christina is the best yep so keep it real don't fake the funk and uh, we love you guys and we'll see you um in the eucharist we will and next week in the podcast okay (laughs) farewell bye the Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.